This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Michelle Gladio to the show. Michelle will talk about how to raise your game as a communicator to make a difference in your career and your relationships. Michelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. Oh my goodness. I am so jazzed about this and I've been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Your book and all the incredible work that you do is all about how we can raise our game as communicators. And you talk about how one of the best ways to make a difference in the world is to do this, but it takes courage. It takes chops and it also takes a willingness to take risks. So tell me why it takes a risk. Well, it takes a risk because I think, and I know you're an executive coach as well. Something I see in my coaching practice is folks are pretty familiar with their strengths and might even be familiar with their weaknesses, but we tend to have some blind spots when it comes to how we might overuse our strengths, lean on them maybe a little too much. So that can require some courage to see. And throughout my practice in the last few decades, I've noticed that humans have four challenges, and usually they're just out of our peripheral vision. So we're kind of going through life every day, making our decisions and interacting personally and professionally. And there are a couple of things that can really mess us up if they're not addressed. And I waited a while to write, and then I spent several years writing this short book, Communicate with Courage. But it does, I think, a very good job of helping illuminate the challenges of hiding, defining, rationalizing and settling. And with those four hidden challenges, we're all, uh, I don't want to say guilty. That's certainly not the word. We're all encumbered by them sometimes. So we yeah. need courage to just, it, just love ourselves despite the fact that we're not perfect. Thank you for that. I think it's so important just to recognize, my goodness, we're human and we're not perfect, nor should we be. And I appreciate the term blind spots. That's something I use a lot in my coaching because often we're, you know, we are so close to ourselves that we don't know the obstacles that are holding us back. Do you find that? Absolutely. And I've had people point my blind spots out to me, whether it was in past relationships with folks that I've loved. And it didn't work out maybe because I wasn't willing to address some of my blind spots or past supervisors as I came up in my working career. I think we have a way of distancing ourselves from that which might hurt us or might make us question our basic goodness. So the message is really, if you're, if you're hiding, you are afraid of perhaps exposing a weakness. You know, if you're defining, you might be a little quick to judge in a way that feels safe to you. If you're rationalizing, you're talking yourself out of some challenging but potentially beneficial conversations. And if you're settling, you're doing what humans do so well, figure out what's good enough as a communicator and stop there. So let me ask, and I'm going to put my coaching hat on. Yeah. Is this something that you talk to clients when you're, you're thinking about helping empower them and up their game as communicators, embracing the fail and learning through it and thinking about how that is a growth opportunity? Sure. Failing forward. I mean, it hurts our egos, it, you know, and it's embarrassing, but I think most of the times I've embarrassed myself as a communicator, I have noticed that 
it might be weeks or years or months, but later that becomes a teaching point when I am mentoring or coaching someone else. And it creates a definite connection. Uh, when I coach public speakers and something embarrassing has happened to them on stage, I think about the time in high school in a debate situation. It was the 1980s and we were all wearing like skinny little belts. And I sneezed, <laughs> I sneezed and my belt, which I had worn probably in the same place, that same uh, belt loop area for years, just blew off in two sections as a high school girl. I thought I would die. I did not die. And as I speak with adults about mistakes we've made, for example, in public speaking or in negotiations or performance reviews, man, every single one of those mistakes has become a teaching point. So I try to remind myself of that. But this will be benefit. This will be beneficial to someone else someday that I can connect to. That's awesome. And thanks for telling the belt story and being vulnerable. My goodness, we we've all had those moments, right? Whether they were earlier in our career or 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 yesterday. I, I love your philosophy that great communication is full body, full mind, and a full heart effort. Tell me more about what you mean by that. I sure will. I'm a very talkative extrovert, pretty high achievement oriented, so usually quite assertive. And I have been working in recent years on listening more, chilling out a little, especially when I hear something I disagree with. Um, my body, my heart, my soul get involved when I try to sit quietly and absorb, and I would call it almost painful. <laughs> Every cell in my body seems to want to interrupt the person who is saying something that I think might be false or perhaps unfair to someone. I'm really learning to kind of try to hold space for others' opinions, and even if they differ from my own, stay in the listening mode, and I can feel what a challenge that is in every cell of my body. And that is how I know I'm growing as a communicator because I am putting myself in a situation that is outside of what feels natural or good to me. Not in a scary way and not in an inappropriate boundary crossing way, but just in a, I'm going to try to do something different here. On my team, uh, my dear colleagues, there are many who are quite introverted. And when I nudge them or coach them to, for example, speak more in meetings, they describe a similar feeling of discomfort in their body, in their mind, in their soul. It's not what would be natural to them. But I don't know how we become great as communicators if we're not willing to experiment outside of what feels natural. Gosh, I, I love this. You can't see me, but I'm smiling ear to ear as a fellow extrovert and a very <laughs> happy talker. You know, often I similarly am trying to help myself, train myself to listen to listen and not to respond. And that's been a learning opportunity for me. And holding that space just resonated so beautifully. And the quiet is okay. It can be celebrated. For sure. I wonder, Caroline, do you remember yourself as a kid? Were you more shy or do you from the get-go remember being ready to stand up even kindergarten, first grade and present in class, read in oh, front yeah. of class, meet new people? Or were you more introverted as a kid? I I was definitely more, I'm here, hear me roar. You okay. know, I was the performer from the beginning. Yeah. Wow. And our family structures, uh, you know, what there's room for in our families, what's rewarded in our families, what are, how our role models or those tall people around us when we're small, they have a lot of effect on the communication style that we adopt and then bring into later life. So many of my clients and our training participants 
are starting to take a look at, yeah, what was, what was I told about myself? Yeah. And um, what was, what kind of behaviors were punished versus rewarded? And what do I want to keep? And what do I want to let go? So one of the most powerful and simple coaching exercises I'm asking clients to complete is please list for me what you're known for. What do you believe you're known for as a communicator, both the positive and the negative? Let's be real here. And then coming up in the coming year, what would you like to keep from that list? And what would you like to discard? And so, for example, in my list, um, I have things that I love about my own style. And then there are the times that I'm short with people because I'm here are the air quotes, Caroline, so busy, mm. right? So much to do that I can't pause and give someone full and kind attention. Maybe they're asking the same question they've asked 10 times, or maybe it's just, you know, a significant other. And you know how that goes with the people we love the most. We sometimes are the least patient with them. So I'd like to discard my habit of impatience as a communicator and keep the more healthy styles that I've developed. And I recommend that to all of our listeners today. Just list out what are you proud of and what are you not so proud of? And then what do you want to keep and which of these will you let go? And of course, then the the rubber must hit the road. The question becomes, how might you begin to let go of that habit? And we figure that out just as you do with your clients, oftentimes one-on-one. Exactly. Exactly. Michelle, we'll be right back after a quick break. But before the break, I would like to tell you, the global listening audience, about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Remember, special code CDH work. Hello there, it's Caroline Dowd Higgins. I know that hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who can customize content to meet your goals and someone who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Meeting planners around the world have recognized me for being easy to work with and uniquely suited to create dynamic programming for your needs. My style is high energy and engaging with practical takeaways that participants can implement in their lives and careers immediately. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create healthy workplace cultures or prevent burnout in your organization, I create customized content to help recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. From the boardroom to the training room or the convention hall, I will help your audience thrive. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Michelle, I, we are kindred spirits in so many ways. And I was so thrilled to hear you talk about exercises that you bring your clients through. And what I love about your book, it's a workbook, a playbook with many exercises uh, in each chapter. But there's one that I want to pull the thread on because I thought it was particularly inspiring. 
so many people are stressed and anxious and they they worry. Would you walk us through the exercise about writing out a worry? Oh, I'd love this exercise. I'd be honored to. I test a lot of things with my own team. And uh, recently we were on a team happy hour doing one of our quarterly Zooms where we update one another on projects related to coaching and training and strategic planning. And I am starting to intimately feel that my coworkers' worries hold them back from growth opportunities. For example, I might have a three-hour presentation and invite one of our research associates to present for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And that's not going to be met with a resounding, sure, I'll be there. There's a nervousness. That not everyone loves public speaking, as you well know. So we started talking about some of our worries, and I floated this challenge. What if now, to one another, we acknowledged a worry related to our work life, since we know each other in that way. And this was one that we are not going to allow any more space in our minds. So when it comes up after we've announced it to one another and probably documented it as well, when it comes up, we're going to just sort of lovingly dismiss it. Hello, there's that old familiar worry, kind of like an old familiar friend who's not really good for you in your life anymore. It's tough to break yeah. up with a friend. Our worries become almost like dysfunctional friends. So we each chose one worry and announced it to one another. And then when it came up for one month, we had a, an agreement that when it came up, we would dismiss it. And as suspected, at least with me, my worry came up even more, almost like it was holding up its hand or elbowing me. And hey, we're, you know, we used to spend a lot of time together. You used to think a lot about this. Well, now instead of thinking about it, I'm just taking baby steps towards dealing with the problem. And the problem that I shared with my team was I worry about the time it takes me to get back to different people, clients, friends, people with a quick career question, people with an in-depth career question, people who want to quote, those kinds of things. I'd like to get back to everybody same hour. They would feel really important that way. Same day would be great. I haven't been able to always get back to everybody same day, and it haunts me when I try to sleep at night. So that was the worry I began to let go. And they all had other uh, you know, individual, personal, and interesting worries. We spoke them, and then in the next meeting, we did a little update. How is it going? Did you work on dismissing it? And most importantly, do you want it back? Everyone yeah. had experienced a lessening of the worry, and guess what? Nobody wanted it back. In fact, everybody wanted to do it again and choose a different worry for the next month. So we, as a group of colleagues, are starting to lay some of our worries down. You know, we still have 99 problems, but we're try trying to make it 98. And then the next month, 97. And executive coaching clients have responded very positively to this as well, because worry is so darn counterproductive. And I think it's something that especially women suffer from. Do you find that as well? I don't know what the oh. reason might be socialization, but women are really good at worrying. We are. And we worry about things we don't have control over. We worry for other people. You know, it, it, the list goes on and on. But what a beautiful technique. And I can absolutely hear it in your voice that it works. It worked for us. And we wrote a two-page research summary about it that's free. It's available on our website. Folks could go to... Gladio Consulting. Hey, that's a French last name. I know it's hard to spell, but it's G-L-A-D-I-E-U-X, like x-ray, gladioconsulting.com. And then there are free tools up at the top on that website. There are research summaries and coaches corners. If you pick research summaries, 
you'll see that we have the 10 of us on my team. We've listed our worries there for all of your listeners to see. And I think they might find some camaraderie knowing that they're not alone in their worries. And we've been overcoming those through baby steps. Great to work That's with the awesome. coach, you know? It would yeah. be great. It's great for people to get a hold of you and talk with them about their work, their worries, especially related to anything organizational development, communication, career related. A guide can help. I think the accountability is terrific. Thank you, Michelle. That's awesome. Such a good resource too. I appreciate you mentioning the website. You know, it's interesting. I think part of overcoming worry too is getting comfortable being vulnerable and admitting what worries you. Amen. I had a mom who would, I dedicate the book to my mom. She was a woman with a lot of pro moves as a communicator. And I write about different pro moves throughout the book. Um, I didn't have her in my life for long. She passed away when I was 19. She had cancer and she had me later in life. She was almost 50 when she had me. So she was sort of preparing me as I was a little girl, like, Hey honey, my friends, uh, your friends will have their moms and dads probably longer than you'll have yours, but I'm going to share with you all the secrets and wisdom of life that I have. And I just hope that that will carry you on. As she parented me, one of the things she told me was that she was sorry that I saw her worry as often as I did. And she was also a very verbal woman like you and me. And she would share those worries with me, her daughter. And as I grew older, she told me that was not the role model she wanted to be. She wished that she would not have passed that habit along. And she suspected that there might be some modeling in learning to worry. Um, now, I'm not a parent of human children. I love dogs. But um, I guess if I were a parent, and as I think about myself as an aunt or a friend to others who have kids, I think about what am I exhibiting here that they might then bring into their own life and continue. So your listeners who have kids, it's a great time for them to look at their own communication style and their self-esteem and the amount of worrying they do, and maybe for their own benefit and the kids' benefit or those who look up to them, their employees, maybe they do lessen worry and increase self-esteem this year to benefit others. Wow. What a beautiful gift that your mom gave us uh, through you. So I thank you for that. that. That's incredible. You know, you mentioned that so many people are fearful of, of public speaking, and I encounter that in, in my clients and colleagues and even friends. It can be very nerve wracking, but you have a beautiful exercise that I'd love for you to unpack a little bit, talking about how to do an audience analysis as a great tool for preparing when you speak in public. Tell us more about this process. Sure. I love audience analysis, and it can be formal or it can be informal, but it has to do with spending some time before you're in front of any room where there might be one or two or one or 200 uh, employees or coworkers or humans waiting to hear what you have to say. Start thinking about what commonalities do you have with those humans? What things do you share in common? And think about what they might already know about your topic. So that helps you pitch or place your message in a way that will resonate with them because if they are already quite expert, you're not starting at intro level. And if most folks in the room don't know much about the topic, you begin with intro level and can progress then through that to help them understand the message more fully. I try to think about how they might be feeling about being at the presentation. Uh, one of the very first training presentations I gave, I was probably 23, 22, and had designed some conflict management training for a busy group of factory manufacturing supervisors. And I was starting a three-hour seminar at about 7 a.m. And one of the gentlemen in the front row kind of came in and rolled his eyes at me and got out 
a couple different um, Mountain Dews and set them in front of him. You know, one of the sodas that have a lot of caffeine. And I looked with him and I looked at him and just kind of joked a little bit and said, oh, my goodness, you know, are you feeling a little tired? You want some caffeine this morning, huh? And he said, yes, I've just worked a double and I'm here for my mandatory conflict management training. And I thought, uh-huh. and perhaps, you know, I was much younger then. Perhaps I should have asked the organization that I was coming to teach for. Tell me a little bit about what mental state my learners will be in. Anything is overcomable. You know, sometimes you just address it. I wish I had known that. I would have put that in my introduction. And I was able to do that on the fly to thank people, especially, you know, please raise your hand if you're one of the people who have worked a double and are still reporting for training. Lots of hands went up, you know, and I gave them my own little round of applause and explained to them why I thought it would be worth it. Just a quick example of why a phone call or a few emails or you sitting and interviewing someone briefly who's going to be part of the presentation or be listening to your presentation, that's invaluable. And you can also then pull what that person has told you about themselves or their company or their cause into your presentation and you become one of them quite quickly, as you well know, Caroline. Exactly. And it just heightens the empathy and the authenticity of of the whole experience. I agree. Michelle, I have learned so much from you. Thank you very much. I want to tell this global listening audience about your incredible book. It's called Communicate with Courage, Taking Risks to Overcome the Four Hidden Challenges. And of course, it is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And my friend, I I hope that our paths continue to cross. We are kindred spirits, and I'm grateful to have learned from you today. Thank you, Caroline. And I just have to say, I've interacted with a lot of communication pros, very few as articulate and gracious and generous as you. So thank you for producing this podcast. I think it's a real help to the world. Well, I am grateful for you, and I look forward to how we will work together. Thank you, Michelle. Take care. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I'd like to hear from you, so let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And I want to give a special shout-out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.